What's up, state-of-the-art fans? Uh, this is Gabe BC, your host for the podcast. You can find us at State of the Art on Instagram or Twitter. Or you can send me an email to gabe at thestateoftheart.org. If you have some questions about the last week's episode or some comments, or even if you want to be on the podcast, you know, send me an email and we'll take a look at your work. Um, how are things going for you out there in the art world these days? Are people having shows? I think they are still. I haven't had many shows, but I'm actually okay with that this year. It's been really nice in a way just to kind of focus on making things in my house and um, spending some more time with the people that I love and not stressing out about if my projectors are going to work for once. Uh, so it's, sometimes it's good to have a little bit of a break. Uh, this week, we have another artist on the podcast, a wonderful artist who I've been talking to for the past couple of years. Uh, she's actually been a guest speaker in some classes that I teach at NYU. Uh, our guest is Yuga Zhou. Uh, she's an artist that's based out of Chicago, but it's originally from Beijing. Um, her work is based in video. So she does video mapping installations, video sculptures, uh, large form reliefs that have video projected onto them, as well as screen-based pieces. And we talk a lot about what it's like to make time-based media art where these ideas come from, how her work has changed over the years. And she's a curator also in Chicago. So if you want to get your work seen, uh, towards the end of the episode, we talk about a giant media wall, which she curates. So it could be a great opportunity for you as well, artists. Uh, so let's start off this episode. I'm excited about it. I hope you are too. Yuge, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So maybe we can start with your background as an artist. Uh, what drives you as an artist? Like, where did you, when did you start making work in the first place? And how do you describe the work that you make these days? Yes. So I, I think compared to um, some uh, um, other artists, I kind of have a unusual background. Uh, I grew up in China, um, Beijing. Uh, and uh, in my kind of early childhood, I had some early trainings that focused on traditional artistic practice, like Chinese traditional landscape drawing. Um, but then um, I subsequently uh, kind of changed my, uh, my path and studied technology and the computers, uh, mainly because that my family felt that it was a more um, pragmatic direction. Um, so it's not until I uh, came to the United States about 12 years ago that I picked up uh, making art again. Um, but, you know, instead of pulling me away from art, uh, this kind of technology, uh, you know, technology realm that uh, eventually became an, an Euro gateway to propel me, I think, into a more contemporary realm of art making. So when I came to the United States, I picked up uh, a camera and started shooting. Uh, at the same time, I was studying um, computer science at Syracuse University. Uh, after I graduated from Syracuse, uh, I decided that I want to uh, transfer my major to art. And uh, I, I went to Chicago, uh, the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. And that's where I was able to kind of fuse the artistic concept uh, with the more logistic um, uh, technical skills uh, that I learned from computer science into like one cohesive body of work. And was that a difficult conversation to have with your parents that you wanted to go back to art after moving into computer science? 
Uh, you know, since I was already here and they were so far away in China, so <laughs> there's no way that they can stop me from doing it. So I sort of uh, just informed them that this was my decision and they just like went along with it. <laughs> it's interesting, though, that you, you, you kind of went for a pragmatic uh, choice and started studying technology and that actually opened up some doors in the art world for you as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it just shows that there's no formula for funding your passion, you know, kind of in the end, uh, a lot of our passions become intertwined and you just have to pay attention to your inner voice. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned distance as well, because it seems like many of your works have to do with distance. Um, yes. How does distance sort of factor into your daily life? Obviously, your family is, is in China still, and now even more so than ever with the coronavirus. I'm wondering if you've thought differently about distance in your current work. Yes. Uh, you know, that's a great question. I, I've truly, you know, since, um, I guess since the beginning of this year, I've never thought so much about distance, <laughs> you know, uh, than, you know, uh, the, all the kind of previous 11 years when I was, when I was here. So, uh, yes, actually one of my recent, uh, and current project is inspired by that distance you talk about. Uh, I had a lot of conversation with my mom who lives in, who lives in Beijing, about this kind of physical and emotional distance between us. And uh, more than ever, you know, I found myself kind of longing for home and realizing that uh, both countries are my home. Uh, so for a recent work uh, I did, which is entitled uh, When the East of the Day Meets the West of the Night, uh, I actually went back uh, to China uh, like end of last year and I filmed the sunrise uh, near my hometown in Beijing. And then I flew back to America and filmed the sunset in one take uh, in California. So um, kind of this idea of uh, looking across from both sides of the Pacific Ocean, uh, and I kind of collage the two scenes uh, together into a diptych. So this project is about you know, this kind of this picture in my mind of like two figures standing on the edge of the Pacific Ocean and contemplating and looking out towards each other at the same moment and feeling a connection despite the physical distance. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the, this is a two-part video series. So the second part is going to be the moon rise and moon set. Mm. Um, but uh, because of the current uh, immigration ban, uh, so I was not, I'm not able to travel back to China and also obviously because of, because of the quarantine that we have. Uh, and uh, so the project's in kind of, uh, kind of on like a pause, um, but I'm hoping to be able to, you know, finish it up as soon as uh, travel allows again. Yeah, it's a beautiful piece. I'm, I was looking at it online and maybe we can share it in our social media as well. Um, Thank you. But yeah. you, is it a, a personal choice that you want to be the person that films both of these videos that are then composited together? Or would you consider having someone back home film part of it for you it's definitely a personal choice that i want to do this myself you know i think i think one of the reasons that this is such an important piece to me it is because it's so personal uh, because i call both countries home and uh and i want to kind of personally experiencing you know that um kind of that distance you know just to travel back and it's kind of one of the reasons also uh, motivated me to go back to china too um so I, I do think I want to just wait out until I can travel and just do it myself. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see when this piece comes together too. I'd love to see the, the moon version. 
Um, yeah, thank you. I, I'm curious I, about collage. Oh, sorry, you're going to say something. No, I was just going to mention that a lot of people commenting on the piece and saying that it's kind of like a moving mark Rothko painting, and I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> How does like your the background and landscape painting factor into some of these these choices? Like it, when the east meets the day, uh, when the east of the day meets the west of the night, seems like it is a moving landscape piece. Is this reference right. sort of uh, your training in landscape painting? Uh, yes. I mean, I think for sure, I think one of the, my main influences is actually, uh, the traditional Chinese landscape painting, which I practiced when I was like a little girl. Uh, and I think this idea of, um, uh, finding peace, you know, amidst the turbulence of everyday life. Uh, and also the idea of like the universe, uh, is so vast and we are just like one small and, uh, insignificant component of it. So... That's how I feel. Yeah. When I look at some of your pieces like Underground Circuit, which it appears almost like this giant beehive of motion. Like it's a it's a collage, right? Underground circuit? Yes. Yeah. It's actually one of the most time consuming pieces I've ever done. Uh, <laughs> how long it, did it take to put together? Well, I mean, so the the filming took like about a week I was in New York, so the piece was shot entirely in the subway station in New York, and it was in the summer, so it was super hot uh, and just like really difficult to shoot also because of it's a public space, so it was not really supposed to have a tripod and a camera in in the subway station. Uh, so I had to like really switch location quickly before you know the 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 policeman <laughs> caught me uh, <laughs> wow. but uh, um so the the piece was. Uh, inspired by you know this sense of theatricality that you find in ritualistic moments of everyday life. So I was really in, like intrigued by the uh, platforms of the local subway station in New York. While you know people wait for their train, they can't help but observe the pedestrian on the other side of the platform as if they are actors and actresses on the stage. So I was really interested in incorporating that sense of theatricality and also this kind of uh, uh, everyday rhythm, like every pacing of everyday life into my work. Uh, and I filmed like hundreds of clips of uh, the substations and then I collaged it into like this cyclical kind of uh, clockwise motion, almost like a kind of a labyrinth or like a mandala. And this piece is then projected, um, is it projected flat or is it projected sort of like video mapped onto objects? It was projected onto a floor and in the center of the floor, there is a cube that people can just sit on it uh, as if like they are like a, a like kind of a Buddha or like a God figure that they can just like look down and observe the characters that uh, work around them you know the projected characters work around them <laughs> so it's like the the god of the subway in a way yes yeah it's like a controller of the movement or, or something like that do you have favorite characters in undergrad circuit like favorite people that you captured in the subway oh uh, there well i mean i have like every everything i captured was actually uh i think quite interesting if you take them out of the you know the the work uh I think it was the ones that actually interact with me, you know, when I was having my camera um, filming the person or some people who's really uh, excited about it and actually either filming me back or, you know, did some really interesting uh, gestures <laughs> to catch my attention. Yeah, It's interesting with your work. I mean, I, I see so many videos and photos put online today 
and we scroll through them endlessly. But with your work, you kind of collage all these different viewpoints into one image. Um, yeah. And I'm thinking also of your piece, Midtown Flutter, which is buildings. W- where was this piece uh, filmed? Uh, it was also in New York. Uh, it was actually in Midtown, New York. Uh, and uh, the the piece, you know, I think not just this piece, but also on my other piece, uh, one of the major fascination for me of the built environment is rhythm. And also I think rhythm is an essential element of time-based art. So uh, yeah, for the for the Midtown Flutter piece, I, I shot uh, a variety of architectural uh, in Midtown Manhattan and I, uh, I allowed the pedestrian to interrupt the scene uh, and then I select the video footage and composed them into uh, a, a kind of this large uh, collaged um, architectural uh, scene of New York Manhattan of Manhattan. And then um, because of the pedestrian passed through the camera, so the piece eventually has this syncopated rhythm as the people move horizontally through the vertical patterns of the built environment. Um, so so I, the, I I never, you know, for all my work, I never really control or like uh, edit the speed of the movement or the pacing of the movement of the people, but like this rhythm just kind of emerge from the, you know, from the collage. Yeah, it feels like jazz to me a little bit, this Midtown Flutter piece. I don't know, are you a fan of jazz music or does... Do you listen to music when you're creating your pieces? Uh, I I do. I listen to some music, but mostly it's just very, very quiet, uh, quiet like uh, kind of meditative stuff. Um, mm. But I also watch a lot of TV shows. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, yes. So uh, yeah, definitely, I've I've gone through like a couple couple times of like uh, the Mad Men's. Uh, that's <laughs> show. Oh, that's interesting. The intro to <laughs> Mad Men is is very similar to Midtown Flutter in a way. I mean, this, the idea of all these buildings kind of being collaged together, it does yeah. have a, a highly graphic look that's similar to that intro. That's funny that you mentioned yeah. that. Yeah, no, like it's not like I think it's just the uh, the the film has all those um, kind of zoom into all the stories of the you know of the 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 characters at that time uh, I really intrigued me uh, and uh, also I just love how sophisticated the dialogue is and it kind of helped me to get into my mood of editing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so people understand Midtown Flutter it it appears like a collage of all these buildings together but then you're projecting that onto shapes that are also cut out right it's almost like a pop up book that's come to life in some way how do you yes. de- how do you describe it maybe I'm getting it wrong here yeah no so it's it's um it's kind of like um, what I call like sculptural relief. Um, so it is inspired by the concept of architectural relief, uh, which is the uh, the sculpted elements remain kind of attached to the background, but also raised above from the the background plane. So the audience experience a gradual shift in the appearance of the uh, of the relief. Um, from like a flat flat image to a three dimensional view, uh, with those protruding geometric shapes, and the the video is project mapped onto the relief. So so like I said, you know when the audience first walk into the gallery space, they wouldn't notice it until they walk closer to it. Uh, and I use this technique uh, to enhance the framed glimpse of scenes, but also. I want to emphasize the physicality of digital video, you know, especially for the Meton Flutter piece. I think that the uh, relief component really enhance the architectural element in the video, but also its composition. So as if the city itself is a sculpture. 
And what is it about buildings that interests you? Because I've seen in many of your pieces, you kind of focus on these high rises. And you even mentioned that right now we're doing this interview. You're in a high rise in Chicago. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So what I, is it? Like, what What is your fascination about high rise buildings? Uh, I guess I grew up in Beijing, you know, where some of the most modern structures, the high rise buildings were built around the 2008 Olympic Games. So I do think I became more aware of the impact of architecture on a place as well as the acceleration of the pacing of the built environment. So I think this kind of transformation has got me to see the uh, kind of the, the, the transience of the urban spaces and how familiar places can be suddenly made unfamiliar. So and that's like one of the reasons why I'm so kind of into the constructed urban spaces and also the, you know, kind of this um, pacing uh, of everyday uh everyday movements you know i think like one of the major major uh kind of fascination of the city is that um this brief encounter of people right so like everyone has their own kind of story and their own background but when you know when you kind of meet someone on the street you are part of their story for just like an instant and this instant is an intersection of lives and stories and we really experience in that in big cities and uh, amidst the high-rise buildings so uh well, that's probably one of, the, one of the reason why i'm so into it are you the kind of person that's like looking into windows when you're outside in the street trying to look at the stories that are happening in the buildings yeah i do that a lot also just because for you know for some reason like you know i I grew up in Beijing and then I, I moved to Chicago and now I my studio is in like a high-rise building. So it's, I can't help, like it's just my surroundings. And when I look down, uh, you know, like the people that work, like I see like, you know, the the, the, the movements of the people and the patterns of the, the people, almost like some kind of urban text, you know, mm. like the, that you read, but you don't understand. <laughs> oh, that's super fascinating. It's something that I find really interesting too. I mean, a lot of my work is about people too, for that reason. Um, I, and also I'm looking at your pieces like soft plots or deep ends in which you collage environments like urban environments and also natural environments. How do yeah. you describe these pieces? Are, are these part of a series of works, of video works? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's actually uh, a series uh, entitled uh, The Humors. Uh, this series of work is currently on view at uh, the Blue Star Contemporary Art Museum in San Antonio, uh, which is going to be um, uh going to be up there until May 2021. Um, so the, the series is inspired by the ancient Greek philosophy of four temperaments. Uh, and uh, the, you know, the idea is that uh, we all, like the Greek, the ancient Greek people believes that um, in people's body, there is different type of humors, uh, like temperaments, uh, which kind of dominate your personality. So I think that cities have their own humors and leading characteristic too. And the people that inhabit those um, you know, places, like live through them and shape the dispositions of the places in a, a collective symbiotic way. So, um, so I have like four videos in the series and each video portrays this concept in a different um, different manners. And they are all video collages uh, of uh, uh, scenes and public spaces I found in Chicago and New York. Uh, so the piece you mentioned, Soft Plot, uh, is um, kind of like a collage of pseudo communities, um, which is like a group of people that get together and drift away. Um, so for that piece, 
I filmed um, a volleyball and frisbee players uh, from a distance uh, by the Oak, uh, like uh, Oak Street Beach in Chicago. Uh, and uh, as you can see, uh, for the collage I did, um, the the volleyballs and projectiles uh, are thrown into like voids and reappear at the edge of the frame. And, and similarly, uh, the players also kind of disappear under uh, under the the scenes, but pop up like somewhere else. So this kind of uncanny fragmented perspective, uh, to me, portrays a conception of urban living that is uh, uh, both group oriented, but also discontinuous. Mm. And the, the other piece you mentioned, uh, Deep Ends, was also shot from a distance into the uh, Michigan Lake. Uh, like from the first glance, you kind of see people having fun and, uh, you know, swimming in the lake. But under the second glance, you kind of, you kind of feel this, uh, um, this disastrous feelings like almost almost if as if like it is aftermath of a disaster so i want to kind of play with that sense of uh this playfulness or carefree spirit that you find in a city but at the same time there's this potential of danger uh or like uh, you know like really kind of the the disastrous sense of sense of disaster also embedded in the city too yeah that's how i feel every time i get near the ocean that something <laughs> terrible is going to occur. <laughs> um, but uh, just to describe it too, so you're filming from the top of a, a high rise. I mean, these people in the videos are very, very small. They almost look like insects or something like that moving around. Yes, yes. For all for all the um, the videos in the series, I filmed from a high rise um, building. Oh, except one one of them, which is Greenplay. That one was filmed actually in Green uh, in uh, Central Park. So I found a really high. Um, uh, it's a it's it's kind of like a castle structure in the Central Park, and I filmed um, from there, but also into a really long distance uh, into like a playground. And are there particular people you're kind of looking for? Or are you just letting the camera roll, and then you go and find those subjects afterwards to make the collage? I think for me, uh, I always have like a sense of what I'm looking for first, but I also welcome like the you know the kind of unpredictable. Um, actions or performance that happens in front of my camera. So it's a combination of both. And and these are exhibited on video screens or are they projected, these the series, this, the humors? This series uh, projected, sometimes I uh, it depends on the venues, but for this uh, current exhibition at uh, San Antonio, it is projected onto really large walls in the gallery space. Hmm. That's, that's super interesting. How do you how do you get ideas for these projects? You know, we have so many artists that listen to these shows, whether they're students or, uh, you know, actual working artists. But I'm really curious about where these ideas come from, because it seems like they are very different, all of them, yet they do have collage in them. But do you just are you looking down from a high rise one day and decide, OK, I want to film people on this beach? Is that how it starts? Or where does the, the process come from? in your mind yeah i i think i was really into the uh street photography before i moved into video art i was really into just like kind of this uh idea of a decisive moment you know like i in street photography you can capture like a moment of scenes that's like uh kind of like a, a still moment that tells a story but then like as i moved into video art i'm really interested kind of expand that moment uh, into a narrative that just uh, in that has this micro narrative that resolve uh, through time. So 
I, it's like a natural progression for me, you know, like this idea of me being in a foreign country that, you know, I was really in, intrigued by my surroundings, by my environment. But at the same time, I was documenting and photographing um, those everyday moments. And then um, naturally, I just started to, you know, play with the photos and then the footage that I captured. And so, like, uh, that's how I became interested in those collaged uh, what I call like a moving photograph or moving paintings. And do you ever feel frustrated with working with video mapping, like the physicality of it? Uh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> uh, I, I don't let it show though. Like I think uh, what one of the um, benefits of me having a computer science background is obviously this kind of logical thinking. Uh, and I'm definitely not afraid of technology. So uh, I in my work, especially for my installations, I try to be as precise as possible. And I also don't want to don't want the technology to be visible, you know, mm-hmm. in my work, if you can, if you know what I mean, like I kind of trying to uh, have the technology to be the background. But, uh, um, but obviously, I want to make sure it's as like perfect as, as possible. And do you sell these pieces, these video map pieces, if you don't mind me asking? I mean, I'm kind of uh, curious. I no, actually, you know, I, I, I want to figure out a way to sell it. Uh, it's most, most of the time, I show this in museum and gallery spaces. Uh, and uh, I've sold uh, flat videos, you know, like, and uh, a couple, actually a few times I've sold uh, flat videos, but I've had trouble to sell the, the relief sculptural videos, I think mainly because just how complicated the installation component is mm. and uh, probably the collectors are a little kind of scared of um, you know um, collecting pieces of that. I did have a few commissions of those uh, sculptural um, sculptural work. Uh, one of those is in the um, botanical gardens in Madison, Wisconsin mm. but that piece was up for probably like around three months and then they took it down. Mm. So and that's, that was a large-scale inst- like public installation. Yes, yeah, it was uh, one of the um, large um, public installations I, I did. And it, it was really interesting because I never shown any of my work outdoor and in a garden. Yeah. So that was really poetic, uh, beautiful space. Uh, that it was also in the summer, so I had a lot of fun installing the work too, despite all the, you know, all the mosquitoes. And, uh, <laughs> it must be challenging to do a video mapping piece that's kind of public and permanent uh, or you know, semi-permanent outside just to deal with projectors and that sort of thing. Did they, yeah. did they kind of help you out with that? Or was that something that you were ready to do? I know we can talk more about your curation also. So I, I wonder if you have uh, some tips for people about how to, how to do an installation like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, for that, I was, you know, I definitely made a lot of mistake, mistakes. And uh, one of the main um, issue we had was like how the projector kept turning off because of the heat. Right. Uh, and uh and we had to like after we installed the work and everything was mapped and then the, I realized that was a problem, <laughs> so I had to kind of like install a fan into like the uh, you know on top of the projector box and that I kind of messed up the mapping and then I had to kind of remap everything again. So that was like one of the most frustrating uh, moments. But that just really made me to learn my lesson. You know, like you always want to make sure the projector box is very well constructed and it's all has like the air circulation has to be figured out before you 
to to all the mapping. Yeah, I feel like as media artists, we have to think about all these extra things that painters are just like, I'm just going to put my painting on the wall and <laughs> admire it. And we're like, oh my God, we have to make sure that the nail, like we build the nails to hang the paintings on the wall ourselves. So there's this whole other added level of stress, I think, that comes with doing time-based media art that people don't always talk about, but I find it interesting. Yeah, I mean, and then on the other hand, it's a little hard, also harder to sell, you know, because of all mm-hmm. those kind of technical um, technical obstacles that comes with our, our medium. Um, so, um, but I really enjoy doing it. I I, I don't, I think, um, you know, the, the fact that, uh, like I said, you know, the stories um, evolve over time, something about that really, um, really uh, attract me, you know, so. And, and yeah. you're, speaking of selling art, you're also a, a curator. Um, can you tell us a little bit of how you got into curation in Chicago? Yeah, uh, so I got the curatorial job uh, right before I graduated from uh, the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Uh, the reason I got the job was um, because of my uh, my thesis work at the um, you know before I graduated, we had to have a thesis show, and for that show, I had a relief sculptural piece. And uh, that kind of grabbed some attention uh, from the school and uh, and also from a, a couple um, you know venues in in Chicago. And one of those venues was um, actually a, a development company uh, because they wanted to build this large sculptural digital art in the lobby uh, of the new office tower that they built in downtown Chicago, and uh, they originally invited me to be one of the artists to um, contribute work onto the platform, but I kind of talked talk them into hiring me as a curator. Mm. Also because I, you know, I, uh, I think I, you know, for, uh, as artists we need a day job. <laughs> so I was uh, interested in, you know, being a curator and uh, put together a program that, uh, you know, that I can hire different artists to make work for the platform. Uh, and uh, this is kind of one of the way for me to contribute contribute back to the community I'm in. So, um, so that's how everything started. And uh, I've been in the curatorial position for the past five years. Uh, the installation is entitled 150 Median Stream. Uh, it's really uniquely constructed. Uh, it has 89 individual LED pipes. LED panels, and it's about 150 feet long and 22 feet tall. Uh, since the launch in 2017, we have showcased commissioned work by emerging and renowned media artists on a monthly basis. And we also partner with major cultural institutions and universities and uh, provide a forum for faculties and students to show their work. Uh, so uh, for the for the current, uh, because of the current kind of social movements that we have started to collaborate with organizations uh, like uh, the RNC of Chicago. And one of the projects we've shown uh, is uh, by um, African-American fiber artist, Bisa Butler, uh, to coincide with her solo show at the museum. Uh, we are featuring an anim- animated version of her work called Subset Sunday Morning. Uh, and it's uh, kind of like this uh, really colorful, coated um, portraits of, uh, um, uh, of black, um, black children uh, in Southside Chicago. And that piece is currently up in the building? 
Yes, yeah, it's currently up until April 2021. Oh, great. So anyone can go and see that in Chicago, or do you have to be working in that building to see the, the work? Uh, it's a public installation, so everyone can go and see the work. Uh, and we have our public viewing hours listed on our website, uh, 150mediastream.com. Oh, fantastic. What, what, what kind of work in general do you look for for a big media wall like this in a, in a public building? Are there things that work well and things that you would kind of stay away from? Uh, I think we, you know, I think one of the reasons why I really like what I'm doing is that um, this curatorial position t- put me in touch with communities that very, has very different views about art, you know, like developers, contractors, and architects, or lawyers. Uh, so I think for the work, the type of work I'm looking for, generally, I want something that's a little bit of provocative and edgy, you know, and also reflects whatever is going on in our current life and culture uh, and i'm you know we are not uh, afraid of being bold and being uh, political um so um so yeah i I'm, I'm don't really have like you know I, I, you know we definitely won't show anything since it's public art so we won't show anything that's super offensive uh or you know that's uh that's super religious but we do want to have a wide range of works coming from a wide range of uh, artists from different backgrounds. Another thing that's interesting about this platform is that, uh, you know, it is a democratic space. So anyone has has an opportunity to be featured on the installation um, from some like superstar artists to students who make art for you know, their first time, but very passionate about it. So this is something we are really proud of. You know, we, this is a platform that for people that has different type of background and median and everyone can coexist on this platform. And so there's an open call to submit work for this platform? Uh, we do have, we don't have like a formal open call, you know, on our website, there is a kind of list of instructions of how you submit works. But uh, since I'm the uh, only curator on this, um, you know, on, on this program, so I mainly just like, uh, some people would email me, you know, with their resumes and with their um, projects. And if I'm interested, then I will contact them. And I also get a lot of recommendations from, you know, the, the artists that I know of from my own art community. Yeah, you'll probably get a couple of emails from this podcast, I think. Um, <laughs> people are That's always right. looking for places to show their work. Um, yeah. What are the reactions to the work you've been show- showing? Is You know, you say that some of it is somewhat political. Does that kind of push the boundaries of people that enter this building that maybe are not used to seeing um, provocative or different work? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, like I said, I think we are more, you know, we want to provide more like an open dialogue. You know, we don't want to have to say something like, black and white you know like i think there is what's interesting about art making is that there is always this gray area and that's the most interesting um part of you know what we create that is uh that is that inspire conversations it's very discussion like people to talk about uh people that has different viewpoint to uh to talk and to debate uh and so i think for us yes we do show some political stuff like the current work um, from Bisa Butler. Um, but, uh, you know, we, you know, we don't, like, we don't want to um, kind of tell, like, a, like a, a yes or no, you know, to a, a, a 
new point. You know, we want to make sure that people look at the work and they can think about uh, what you know what's going on in the current culture, and they want to uh, think deeper and uh, have a discussion with someone who has who share a different viewpoint with them. Yeah, I always think it's amazing that to to bring art into these public spaces, though, and especially in some, into corporate spaces too. I think it's important to kind of mix up the way people enter their buildings every day uh, with public work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, like I mentioned, that's why I like about curating in this space because I, you know, I talk with um, you know people from from all different profession, and uh, they all can take something out of the work, regardless that if they have a formal art background. You know, I think that's what really um, motivate me to curate uh, good work uh, and powerful work for the platform because, uh, you know, I think in a way I want to educate people, but I also just want people to um, to, to be curious about art and, uh, and what the artwork is talking about. So maybe we can finish here with one of your more recent pieces and talk about Love Letters, The First Encounter. It seems like in a way this piece is the perfect piece talking about what we're all going through right now, talking with people online and being separated from everyone else. Can you tell us a little bit about how this piece is put together and what, what we see in the piece? Yes. Yeah, of course. So um, this is actually a piece that uh, um, is inspired by the the quarantine, you know, the isolation and the separation that felt during the quarantine. Uh, it is a project, a a four-part video series entitled Love Letters, uh, and it portrays two uh, individuals overcome obstacles in order to make a connection. Um, So the piece you saw on my website uh, is uh, the first episode of the project, uh, and it features uh, original choreography by the Chicago-based choreographer Hannah uh, Sandisteva and also two movement artists Sam Crouch and Rebecca Huang. So for this first episode, which was filmed in August 2020, the two dancers stood on two sides of the Chicago River, creating a dialogue with each other using their body gestures. uh, And they it, the the filming was um, kind of took place in this really industrial backdrop of the Chicago Southside neighborhood. Uh, so the choreography was really expressive and rhythmic, almost like a, a sign language. And the two dancers also inserted their own interpretations with uh, elements of improvisation and mimicking. And this episode is about interacting from afar and longing to make a connection. Uh, so you, uh, as you saw in the videos, uh, there is, so there's two cameras, uh, one from each side of the uh, Chicago River. Uh, the, the camera, each camera captured the scene from a frontal view uh, and uh, at the end it was a diptych. Um, so we have just recently finished filming the second episode uh, of the project. Uh, which took place in um, the nature, uh, kind of in the amidst the fall, the, the fall seasons, uh, and it was in the narrow north bench of the Chicago River. And uh, so the second piece continued um, the dialogue, the dancers' dialogue from from it left off in the previous episode, and uh, pushed their communication forward into a. a 
a sense of intimacy and also invitation to meet each other physically. So after the kind of initial dialogue, uh, the two dancers slowly move across the river towards each other, and then they stopped in the middle of the river and looking at each other longingly. So, um, so that's the the second episode. And for the third episode, which is going to be filmed in a snowy day in winter, uh, uh, it's gonna uh, again pick up from where it left off in the second episode and uh, kind of continue their journey towards each other. Uh, while creating patterns on a snowy ground using their body movements. And the piece uh, will end with them finally embracing each other. And the whole episode will be filmed in one take uh, before done. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow, it's kind of an epic piece here that's been shot over a year, it feels like. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, and you know, I'm pretty excited about it also because of the fact that it's situated in different locations, mostly along the Chicago River. Um, it's kind of like a love letter to the city where I live and dream. And another reason why you know, I, I really think this piece is important to me is that um, kind of like the previous work I talked about, the, the piece I filmed in China and American, um, you know, across the Pacific Ocean, uh, this has a similar concept and format except, you know, this one is filmed on both sides of the Chicago River. Um, so, so it has this idea of, uh, um, you know, longing for connection and overcoming obstacles to make a connection. So this is kind of like an overall theme in my work. And I can see how my recent projects uh, can connect, uh, connect this overall theme. And I just really... I enjoy keep developing um, this this body of works. Yeah, there's something definitely universal about the way this piece is shot. I can see it already, and I'm, I'm really excited to see the last two components come together into this. Thank you. This full yeah. piece. Yeah, your, all of your work seems to touch on all these very human feelings that have been amplified right now, especially in this last year. Um, so so yeah. it's it's great. It's really beautiful. Um, yeah. Before we finish, I, oh sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to mention that. Uh, I, I I love how you said about how like all my piece is kind of about has this kind of human uh, emotions or human connections because I I, I had uh, thought about uh, you know especially you know with the recent uh, social events that's you know kind of going on in America and how like the pandemic really uh, create uh, a lot of misunderstanding and uh, anxiety and fear especially with kind of the relationship between China and America so. Um, so I feel like, you know, this is kind of the time where, uh, I just, you know, when I just want to share, um, you know, something that's kind of universal, you know, this, uh, this idea of we, we kind of all long, you know, for community and we all experiencing, um, peace and sadness and joy in kind of similar ways. And we all long for connection. And, uh, so for my, you know, my two projects, Love Letters, and uh, uh, When the East of the Day Meets the West of the Night. So both pieces are talking about this longing for connection, which is a universal condition which, uh, that I ultimately want to acknowledge and celebrate in my work. Do you think that this global situation, this global pandemic, will make people realize that more, that we are all kind of one people and we have this connection since we've kind of all been through a similar thing now? Yeah, I mean, certainly. I. I I hope so. And I think, you know, with the, I'm really hopeful with the new administration, 
in America, you know, and the situation will become much better. And I also have, ultimately, I have faith in people's um, understanding in the complexity of the pandemic and human compassion. Yeah. We can hope. I hope that's the truth. Uh, (laughs) Before we go, I have some quick questions for you. Just rapid questions about you and your life here. Um, So just the first thing that pops in your mind. But before I get to that, I have to ask, because on your bio on your website, it says that at the age of five, you became a household name in China as the singer for for Little Dragon Boy, one of the most popular uh, children's series in Chinese TV history. Um, (laughs) What's the deal with that? (laughs) Well, I mean... I, you know, it's, it's just uh, such a bizarre, uh, but also super um, great thing that happened like, in my life. Well, so I, my, both my parents are musicians and my father was a music producer and uh, he was uh, in, he was a music supervisor in this TV show, uh, this children's TV show called Little Dragon Boy. And uh, I, you know, I was, uh, invited to sing for the title songs for for this show and uh without you know out of everyone's you know surprised that this show just really became a, a a sensation in china and just took off uh and was um become i think it's still one of the most popular children shows uh in the history of uh, of chinese you know tv shows and uh so i kind of became really well-known uh, as a child singer uh, at that time. But I, I only performed for like two or three years and then I kind of just didn't really enjoy the spotlight. And uh, I was kind of much rather to be behind the camera than in front of camera. So so I kind of quit my singing career, uh, you know, in two years. But that was a moment and from kind of age five to age eight, I was like a, a child star, wow. <laughs> a singing star. So you sung the title theme song for yeah. uh, Little Dragon Boy. The theme song and uh, and plus five other songs in the shows. It was all my voice. Do you think that impacted your art practice at all? Uh, I think, I guess, yeah, I think all, you know, I guess like this kind of definitely shaped who I, who I am uh, as an artist. Um, but I think those early experiences just uh, made me really uh, interested in um kind of touch people in different ways. Because I, I remember when I was, uh, you know, kind of a, a child star in China and uh, I had people reading me letters and, uh, uh, you know, my song was just become so popular and people were just so happy to to kind of, um, how do I say, like, be touched by my voice? Because I had this, you know, I was a child and uh, the story of the TV show was about uh, this little dragon boy looking for his mother. Uh, so again, it's really universal um, kind of human emotion, and uh, and I was a part of it, and I was just so happy that people resonate with my voice, and uh, and I was uh, you know able to you know invoke these uh, feelings um, you know from from people, and that's what I'm really uh, hoping to do now with my art. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we have a whole other podcast we could go on about your your <laughs> your youth, basically, as this child star. <laughs> I'd love to hear more about that as yeah. well. Um, yeah. If you weren't an artist, what else would you be right now? Oh, uh, God, uh, I would love to be an architect, hmm. I think. I, I mean, that. I guess architect is also a form of art. But uh, yeah, um, I just, like I said, I just, just really love uh, the combination of uh uh, something artistic and something uh, logical. So, yeah. Uh, what's the one file on your computer you can't live without? Uh, <laughs> oh my god. Um, I 
my whatever I'm editing currently. <laughs> That's a good answer. Um, <laughs> when was the last time you laughed out loud? Like, you know, hysterically laughing? What was the time when we filmed the uh, the fall episode, which was like two weeks ago? And what was amazing when we filmed that episode, uh, I mean, the fall episode of Love Letters, mm-hmm. was that we were in the, the dancers were in the midst of the water and we had, they were doing the duet and uh, there's two deers. <laughs> Walked into our walked into the scene and just as if like no one was there and just start drinking waters and uh, you know and kind of like just just was there and uh, oh, it was wow. such an amazing <laughs> amazing thing and we just like laughed out loud you know about is about that going to be in the final version of the piece? Uh, unfortunately, no, because uh, the final piece uh, was shot from a bird eye view, so we had ca- multiple multiple cameras. And the camera that captured the deers was from a set view, and I ultimately decided to not include that. Also, I think that was really distracting. <laughs> from <the main> scene. <laughs> oh no, you got to release yeah. the deer cut. I want to see the deer cut at some point. It was actually on my Instagram. I, I did post it. Uh, I was like, our, I, I think I said something like our water dance just, you know, called the deers uh, to, to join us. Um, but yeah, I think it was part of the behind the scene footage going to be, but yeah. <laughs> and uh, how do people find you on Instagram? We'll wrap uh, up here. At Yugojo, uh, which is at Y-U-G-E-Z-H-O-U. Yuga, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been a real treat to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. I just I love talking to talking with you, and thank you so much for having this podcast in you know during this time because I think we we all need to hear more about the stories of artists and uh, our culture. It's also keeping me sane too. So <laughs> thanks again. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of State of the Art. You can find us at State of the Art on Instagram or Twitter. State of the Art is an at art production originally created by Ethan Appleby. Uh, Our audio engineer extraordinaire is Weston Stevens. We call him Wes. Uh, Our producer is Francesca Rodriguez-Sawaya. We call her La Funchy. And our intern is Abby Asmus, and we just call her Abby. This is Gabe BC. You can find me at Gabe BC on pretty much everything. Stay tuned next week for another exciting episode.